Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Monday, I would say, because I'm uploading this early instead of uploading on Tuesday. So happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Happy Memorial Day to everybody who has served and who is serving right now. And even those who haven't served, you know, I mean, obviously it has off to you uh, for making the wise choice of not dying for your country. Uh, so, so happy Memorial Day to all of you guys. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, friends, watching Roland Garros along the way. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of tennis world, we can discuss Joe Rogan being labeled Times 100 Most Influential People of 2022. We can also discuss The Ellen Show ending and just my overall thoughts and opinions on that. Ethan Klein wanting, wanting to bomb the NRA headquarters because there was an NRA convention that happened over the weekend and he just wanted to bomb it. And as a result, YouTube rightfully decided to take it down his video as a result of it. And in terms of news within the tennis world, we can discuss Rafa Nadal versus Felix Ojeda-Yassim, as well as the my overall predictions for Nadal and Djokovic, where we'll start off. But uh, we're, but I'll also t- give you my weekly pick. So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I usually enjoy, that I that I really enjoy, that I think you guys will enjoy yourself. But where we'll start off for today will be tennis, and it'll be Felix Ojeda-Yassim versus Rafa Nadal. So if you guys didn't see Felix Ojeda-Yassim played against Rafa Nadal. And they played over four hours. It was a five-set thriller. One of the better matches of Roland Garros. And Rafa Nadal beat Felix Ojeda-Yassim in five sets as a result of it. And overall, this match was very, very fun and enjoyable to watch. Obviously, were there times where it did lag? Sure. But overall, it gave you your money's worth. And if you paid money to see this match... To CFAA versus Nadal, you got your money's worth because it was a great match between the two of them. It was very similar to those matches that we would see last year with Nadal and Djokovic, where they would take five five sets. You know, obviously the French Open semifinal, uh, but also that Italian Open final as well last year, where you had two individuals with very different with a very different sort of style and approach. And how they're able to sort of maneuver and do well and sort of get the upper hand on the other individual is something that we would more or less see in this match as well. Now, you got to give FA a credit, right? I mean, the fact that he won five sets with the King of Clay is impeccable, is marvelous to see. And overall, hopefully we're able to see more of that from FAA in the next few months to come and the next few years to come as well. And you got to give him credit. I mean, he was able to sort of beat Nadal in that first set. He made Nadal have a lot of unforced errors, and FA was just able to cover all areas of the court. And when he was able to do that, you really saw him come into his own. And that in and of itself is a very beautiful thing to see when you see a tennis player be able to do that. You know, he was able to control pace. He was able to do well the baseline as well. And net play was very, very important in this match. I feel like it goes unstated a lot of times but playing well in the net in this match was extremely important because whoever got to the net first and more importantly who was whoever was able to control the pace of the ball so that volleys drop shots could go in their favor whoever was able to do that the most would win this match and in that first set you got to give FAA's credit you really do he was able to be able he was able to beat Rafa Nadal at his own game uh, in that first set. 
Now, obviously, things definitely did change in that second and third set. You know, things definitely did change. You know, Rafa Nadal's unforced errors won down. I mean, he had, I think, I think he had like around like three or four unforced errors in total uh, for for sets two and three. So he was able to change it up extremely well. And Rafa Nadal did what Rafa Nadal did best. You know, he was able to get great shots and generate a lot of power from the baseline. Um, there were times where his foot really wasn't an issue. Uh, even the, in that in that first set, I will be honest with you. When I looked at him, he seemed a bit sort of off. You know, there was a bit of a sluggishness feel to him. But in sets two and three, he definitely picked it up. He was able to get clean winners from the baseline out. Uh, he was able to sort of cover all areas of the court, as I mentioned uh, previously. And overall, you really saw a difference in Rafa Nadal in that in that in sets two and three because of it. I'm going to sneeze. I'm sorry. I hate when I'm about to sneeze and I don't sneeze. That's the worst feeling ever. Uh, hopefully people understand where I'm coming from when, in that vein. But yeah, so Rafa Nadal was able to come come back in sets two and three. And it definitely did feel like he was going to win that fourth set because of it. But there was a regression to his, to his play. And I feel like when we discussed Nadal and Djokovic in this next match, we're going to have to be we're we're going to have to discuss that as well. Uh, but there was regression in sets four. In set four, he committed a lot of unforced errors. Felix Auger-Aliassime did great when it came to uh, approaching the net. He was he did great in terms of detecting uh, Nadal's second serve. It was a very very different feel and vibe and approach than that of say sets two and three. And in that fourth set, you really saw Felix Auger-Aliassime really mentally outwitting and outthinking Nadal and a lot of points and a lot of scenarios you really saw Ojeda Asim really come into his own and really do what Ojeda Asim does best which is be able to hit not only flat ground strokes but you know also slice as well incorporating the slice being able to mix it up add some variety not just you know hits the same old shots for the sake of hitting the same old shots you know valuing point construction all of that was very, very important for Felix Ojeda-Aliassime in that fourth set. And he was able to really uh, do some damage on Rafa Nadal because of it. But in that fifth set, you really saw Nadal come back into what we knew and what we knew that Rafa Nadal would come back into. And once he got that break in that fifth set, I think it was like 4-3, 5-3. I think the break was at 4-3 to go at 5-3. Or three, yeah, three all to go, four three. I don't know something along the lines of him getting that break later on in that fifth set. You just knew it'd be over. Overall, like when I was heading into that fifth set, and when I saw them both holding so pretty well, I'm like, okay, if it's one all, they're gonna go to tiebreakers. It's gonna go. It, it'll be one of the first few, few first few times. I think it's gonna be one of the first times. If that happened, it would have been one of the first times where there would have been a fifth set tiebreak at the at Roland Garros, and to see it happen in, in that display would be marvelous to see but i was wrong you know Rafa Nadal was able to get the break and you got to give Rafa Nadal his credit uh because there were times in that latter half of that fifth set where he was just he just turned into another beast like, like another like another person like I, i've never seen Nadal that amped up that pumped up after every, each and every shot uh i mean he was just able to get clean winners everywhere uh, now, you got to give FAA credit. I mean, there was this great net play to make a 30-40 wall fifth set, which was like, which was a great rally, one of the best points in the match. Go check that uh, 
point out. I think it's in the highlights. Hopefully it is. If it's not, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because Roland Garros does a really, really bad job at showing the best plays in a match in a highlight reel. They, I mean, they they pick the weirdest things to like highlight and, and to like make it as like the like the central part of a match. Like they'll take like a first serve being out and then a second serve being a let and they'll put it in the highlight. I'm like, how is this a highlight? <laughs> like how? Uh, but that's just my two cents on the matter. Uh, so anyways, going back into this match, I really enjoyed this watching this match. I really did. I thought it was very fun, enjoyable. Uh, did I watch the entirety of this match? No, uh, it was over over four hours long. You know, I'm I'm on the East Coast. I'm I'm on Eastern Standard Time. So when it, this match started, it was like ten or eleven, and I had things to do. But I came back and I watched it. You know, I watched I DVR'd it, uh, and I was able to finish it, watch it, and overall, this was a very very fun match to watch. Did we know that Nadal would win heading into this match? Yes, but the fact that FAA was able to make it more competitive and really outwit Nadal in a lot of ways I think we'll see more or less of that in the next match with Djokovic and Nadal so that leads into my next discussion here where do I think Nadal and Djokovic will be an interesting match and what are my predictions heading to this match all right so Nadal and Djokovic playing tomorrow for the quarterfinal of Ron Garros the fact that they're in the same draw is quite sad because this should be either semifinal or they should be in two separate fields like they should like Nadal should be on one side Djokovic should be on the other uh the fact that they're still in the same quadrant that they're still that they're still in the same draw and that they have to face each other before the final I feel like it's not giving the people their money's due uh but because of that, Nadal and Djokovic are playing for, for the quarterfinal tomorrow. I will be covering it on my podcast clips channel, so be on the lookout for that. I will be doing a review uh, as soon as that match is over. But in terms of my predictions for this match, I know people, you know, are high on Djokovic. You know, he he beat Nadal last year at the French Open semifinal. He did he beat him again uh, before that at the Italian Open final. He won the French Open. He's the uh, defending French Open uh, champion from last year. And I know there's a lot of high hopes for Djokovic. And I think Djokovic has a very good... I mean, honestly, it's a toss up. It's a pick up It's a pick em. So it doesn't matter who you're picking because at the end of the day, like, they're both equally strength. I think the betting odds are, like, at even. Like, they're both, you know, our, our favorite to win, you know. So it, it doesn't matter. Like, it truly... You're not in the wrong depending on, on who you pick. But for me, in terms of my prediction, I think Nadal will win against Djokovic. I, I, I don't think, I think the idea that Djokovic will win three times against Nadal at Roland Garros, I feel like that's a little too far fetched. I think, I, I think Nadal is just so dynamic on clay. And I know that he has foot injuries, I know he hasn't been the same individual. I mean, relatively speaking, uh, this clay season compared to previous clay seasons. But I do think that Nadal will beat Djokovic. I mean, obviously, Djokovic is still one of the best to ever do it. Uh, full disclosure here. Obviously, you're not going to hear me complain. But I do think that Nadal will beat Djokovic. And I do think that this will be the most competitive, most difficult match that Nadal will have 
in this tournament run. And I think this will be a good five-set match with several tiebreakers and probably his fifth-set tiebreaker as well. Uh, I really do think that. I mean, it's it's hard to like figure out the numbers because like it's like I don't want, I don't know really, like three three six six three six four seven six seven six. I don't want to do that. That's a little too uh like I don't know. It's a little too specific, and you know you're just bound to be wrong because of those numbers and those estimates, but. I do think Nadal will beat Djokovic. And I think when you see Nadal, when you see his banana shots, when you see his ability to be aggressive at the baseline, but also do well in the net as well, I think that's a lot. Those, those skills that Nadal has is something that Djokovic really hasn't seen so far in the French Open this year. And when you think of that, and when you think of the overall duels and battles that both these individuals have on various services, not just on clay, I think that you'll more or less see that from Nadal and with Djokovic. Now, in terms of Djokovic's side, I think he'll do what Djokovic does best, which is be an all-around, all-court player. You know, be, do well at the baseline, but be very sort of counterpuncher-esque on the baseline. I think you'll see him play more tactically uh, than say Nadal. He's an individual that really likes to isolate a person to one area and then and just whip out a shot on the other side of the area. And, and then the opponent realizes, oh, I should have I should have just covered the other side of the, of, of the court. Why didn't I do that? And I feel like, you know, Djokovic is such a surgical technician in that regard where he's just able to really mentally outthink of that of his opponent. And when you think of his ability to construct a point, it I mean, there are, there are a lot of parallels with FAA and Djokovic. There are a lot of parallels between these two individuals. And I feel like the match that we saw yesterday with FAA will more or less be the same match that we'll see with Djokovic. And if this was any other playing surface, I think Djokovic would take it. I mean, if this was grass, sure. But if this is hardcore, yes, obviously, uh, Djokovic all the way. But I feel like Clay is such a. I know people like to say, oh, clay is no different than any other surface. And now the idea of a clay core player makes no sense. And, you know, with the rise of Daniil Medvedev and whatnot, I feel like a lot of people are saying that. And they're not wrong in that assumption. But in terms of doing well on clay, Nadal still hasn't. You know, I mean, again, there's we've, we'll never see another player be this dominant on clay like Nadal. And I feel like he's going to show that tomorrow in his match with Djokovic. I'm excited to see it because I, I hope it's like a day match, not a night match, just for like my own sanity. I really hope it's a day match. I don't want to be like at 2 p.m. or 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. and watch it and be like, it's like five hours into it. Nadal's still serving. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to watch it in the daytime. I think it's best if the most amount of eyeballs watch it. And if it's the daytime, uh, Maybe Djokovic might not like it. You know, obviously Djokovic has his issues with the daytime and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, with the hat, you know, he always brings up the hat. You know, he always breaks up the hat whenever it's daytime because he, he really does just not like the sun at all. Uh, but again, it's just one of those things where I think if I think the timing of it will play a factor in it as well. So if it's daytime, I think Nadal wins. If it's nighttime, Personally, I still think Nadal will win, but I think it's going to be a, it's going to be more so Djokovic. If Djokovic is able to pull it off, it's probably going to be at the nighttime. So uh, that's my prediction overall on that match. I think Nadal will take it. I think Nadal has the ability to do so. 
And it's going to be very interesting to watch it because if Djokovic is somehow able to win, I mean, you're seeing 109-4 and four at Roland Garros for, for Rafa Nadal. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see that. But you'll also be able to see uh, Nadal uh, really sort of be exposed. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like, okay, there, there. He's not perfect. Like that's what I, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, okay, he's not perfect. He does have mistakes. He does make errors. And I feel like the match that we saw with Felix Ojeda-Alassim, if if Felix Ojeda-Alassim was just going to make some key points and and just focus on make, not making that much, not, not that many errors, I feel like he would have won that match. And more or less, it would have been the same playing style as Djokovic. Like it really, it really would be. And I feel like a Novak Djokovic in that situation yesterday would have closed out that match. And he would not allow Nadal to break. And I feel like that's going to be very, very important to see that. And obviously, I want to be honest with that. I've, I've talked about the issues with Nadal, but there are issues with Djokovic. I feel like it's a very two-way street with this. Uh, Djokovic also has issues in terms of being able to clock in a second serve. I mean, we've seen it la- last tournament at Madrid Open, you know, where his first set, first serve and second serve, there was a vast degree, there's a vast, uh, there's a vast separation between the velocity in terms of the power generated and in terms of his first serve and second serve. Uh, there are times where, you know, he will, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say do moon balls, but I mean, how, what else can I say? I mean, there are times where he'll purposely do moon balls to sort of, in my opinion, kind of push maybe not so much push but you know push uh his opponent to make errors and i feel like that will not go in his direction if he does that right like it's one thing to do it against carlos alcaraz because he's like new to the tour he's he's like 19 years old you know he's he's still making mistakes and whatnot so it may work against carlos alcaraz but against Nadal, no, no, he's going to eat you out. Like, you can't just do moon balls against Nadal. It's not going to work out. He's going to eat you alive. He's going to generate a lot of power. He's going to do a lot of topspin. He's going to find ways to hit crazy banana shots. You know, you can't just do moon balls against Nadal. He's going to detect that easily and early on, and it's going to be a nightmare for you. So I feel like Djokovic still has issues with that. I mean, I feel like whenever he does play against somebody more competitive, he does very, he sort of does slow it down a bit more as opposed to other players. So if he's if he's if he does that, it's not going to go well. Uh, for me, what I would suggest Djokovic to do, and this is com- coming from a very accomplished tennis player, but I feel like in his regard, in his instance, I feel like hitting flag ground strokes are the key, and being able to make Nadal isolate himself to just one area and not allowing him to cover all all areas of the court is something that's very very important. And I feel like if he's able to incorporate the drop shot a little bit more. And, you know, get Nadal to just be isolated, as I said previously, I feel like that's a surefire way into him being able to win this match. So I feel like those are the keys to the game. I know I sort of broke it down more to detail than I should have done, but I feel like that is something that both of these players need to take into account. Take into account. Otherwise, we'll see a very sort of sloppy match if that's not the case. And that's not going to be the case whatsoever. I, I really don't think that's the case. Uh, so Nadal, Djokovic, you know, grab your popcorn. This is going to be one of the more interesting matches, one of the best matches of this year. Uh, that's what I'm projecting it to be. Honestly, last year the French Open semifinal was one was considered one of the best one of the best of the year. Honestly, like 
I'm on the fringe as to whether or not it's my favorite. Personally, I still like the Italian Open final between the two of them. But still, this match, that match was one of the best of, the, of that year. And this match will surely not disappoint you either. So overall, that's my uh, those are my thoughts and opinions on the matter, on this match. Uh, I'm excited. I really am. Uh, I can't wait for it. Uh, I really can't. And obviously, it's Veriman Alcaraz are playing tomorrow. So that'll be a nice straight set victory for Alcaraz. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but I do think he'll win his straight sets. Uh, that That's not what I'm kidding about. Uh, so anyways, uh, that that's my tennis discussion for you today. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed. I'll uh, be obviously talking about the uh, quarterfinal recap tomorrow and Wednesday. I don't know if all the four quarterfinal matches are happening tomorrow. If they are, I'll you know upload it one by one on my podcast clips channel so be on the lookout for that but that's where i'll end off with my discussion on tennis related discussions on my news discussions for tennis all right so let's get into our next bit of discussion here shall we uh between um ethan klein right ethan klein and uh, his overall thoughts and opinions on the nra so uh what happened let's let's go back into a, a few few days ago before this incident with ethan klein and the nra uh so ethan klein all right before that uh there was a shooting obviously uh, you probably heard about the, the uvalde shooting uh killed 19 children two teachers obviously very very sad news and uh, i didn't really cover it on my on this channel because it's just like for me like i just like to do like fun things enjoyable things if i discuss it it's just like a it's it just it's just it's a lot of weight on me to like really discuss it because you know it's just difficult to really put into words like how much this does stink how much this is horrible how much the shooter is a you know dickhead and is and is a you know he's scum honestly you know to put it you know lightly i mean scum is like the lightest thing you could say about you know this psychopath uh but you know, it's very difficult to to really discuss it on this podcast because for me, like, I like to make it light, lighthearted. You know, there's a reason why it's a comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture because I always try and, and put comedy into it. And I feel like, you know, this is one of those few times where it's just like, I mean, you can definitely make jokes about it. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like it's just like, you know, it's difficult. You know, it's, it's very difficult to really sort of discuss it and, and to, um, you know, really put your thoughts and opinions out there that that can really serve people, you know, and I, I really mean that. So obviously, like when I discuss the Uvalde shooting, it, it's very difficult to, for me to really, really talk about it. You know, I mean, let, I mean, hopefully David Guetta is getting ready to make another bop for this for this shooting because we need it. Uh, we need David Guetta more than any, more than anyone else. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it, that's my only joke that I have for this shooting because it, it really is difficult uh, to really put into words uh, how much it does stink. Uh, so the shooting happened, and obviously, you know, people are discussing about gun control, gun reform, and you know about you know what is the appropriate discussion in regards to it. And for me, like, it, I don't know, it, it's difficult to really find a solution to this because I, I feel like. I don't know, like, it, it's very difficult because, you know, Democrats will say one thing, Republicans will say another thing, but at the end of the day, we all know nothing will really change. You know, it's going to take, like, debts into, like, the three figures for, like, anything to change. I, I really do think so. 
Uh, for me, like I'm pro second amendment. Like I'm generally like pro uh, the constitution and whatnot, but I feel like, you know, we had an assault rifles ban like from 94 to 2004, like mass shootings, like very like in the single digits. Like it, the, there were, were obviously like, you know, the, the people don't like assault rifle ban and whatnot, but I feel like in the, like for those 10 years, like shootings were like way down and, you know, back in 2004, like they decided to like repeal the assault rifle ban. Uh, and as a result, they've been going up and up and up. And I feel like, you know, I don't know. I, there's a lot of different ways to like find solutions to this. And I feel like no one's really taking it into account. Uh, but this is one thing that you shouldn't do, which is Ethan Klein saying he wants to bomb the NRA headquarters, which is crazy. Uh, so he stated on the H3, H3 podcast, which usually releases on like a Friday and whatnot, saying someone should bomb that building in reference to the NRA convention that was occurring Friday night. And uh, I think YouTube took down his video, I think, which is, uh, I mean, again, if you're on another person's website and you're making content for said website, and they're not paying you to upload that content. And if you're just doing it on your free will, uh, they have the right to do that. And and yeah, it may not be, in certain instances, it may not be the right thing to do, obviously. Like, remember I discussed a few months ago about YouTube uh, terminating Rand Paul's account for like his COVID-19 misinformation, if you will. And obviously I stood up for Rand Paul, but this is kind of different. Like this is quite different uh, to like say that, you know, there should be physical violence on something. It's like, no, that's not the right thing to go about that. You know, violence only turns to, into more violence. Uh, so for him to do that on his podcast, not the best thing to do. Uh, so that's overall my thing with the Ethan Klein situation. I tried to look more into it. Like, okay, there has to be something more to this. He he shouldn't. He didn't say this out of the blue. Like, there must be some context to it. I know, like, from when I discuss this on my podcast, I want to have some sort of nuanced take on it. I want to make sure that I hear his side of the story. I want to make sure that I, I don't just openly hate on Ethan Klein for the sake of hating on Ethan Klein. And I, I want to, like, give him the benefit of the doubt here. But when I heard it, I'm like, oh, no. He just, he just basically just said that, like, aloofly. Like, he just said that out of, out of the blue. Uh, so, yeah, this is dumb. Like, the fact that he just said this on the podcast is quite dumb. And honestly, like... This should not be, be said at all. Like, I, I don't know. Again, like, I'm not the kind of guy that will go to protest and whatnot. You know, I'm, I'm not. But uh, if you are going to a protest, uh, don't say this. Uh, this is a little too much. Uh, this is a little, like, this is not what gets people on the other side to support you. I think we're now seeing a turning point in American culture where now more and more people want to regulate guns. They don't want to like do a gun buyback. That's a little too obscene. That's a little too much. But I feel like a lot of people now are in that camp where they're trying to at least do something about the situation. And I feel like it's very different than, say, what happened at the Pulse nightclub shooting as opposed to what happened at Parkland, to Sandy Hook, to San Bernardino. I feel like people are just so sick and tired of this. They, they don't want to hear more children dying. So they're just trying to do anything if something and i feel like regulating the guns is something that a lot of people are in favor of and i feel like there the there's a minority of people that are saying oh no we should still keep the second amendment or or we should still keep assault assault rifles out there but i feel like that's in the vocal minority i feel like those are very those are very few individuals that really sort of are into that you know so uh 
that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on all that. Uh, and I didn't really discuss the Uvalde shooting because, and it, this probably opens the floodgates for me to discuss it, uh, but there's a lot of sketchy things that are in that shooting. There's a lot of sketchy things where you see the police officers not going to the building to help save the children. When you hear, you know, calls to 911 and, and from children and how, and how the police officers did nothing to solve it. The fact that, you know, they said that, you know, they shot down the shooter, but then they refuted that claim a few hours later on Friday. Uh, when you see or when you hear the Uvalde Police Department, you know, being taken orders from the SWAT team to not do anything about it. Uh, when you see the connections that the shooter had with the FBI, CIA, there's a lot of sketchy things about that situation. There's a lot of sketchy things. And and to see, and I, I don't want to, you know, sort of project my views on anything on anything like this, but... Uh, to see them do Gladio domestically, it is kind of sad. I mean, I don't know if it, if it's like that. I don't know if the CIA or FBI is like perpetrating this. I mean, I, it wouldn't shock me, but I mean, to see it happen like this, oh my god! Like this is this is not ideal whatsoever. Go check out Sean McCarthy on Twitter. He really does a good job in terms of giving his overall thoughts and opinions on this regard, on this matter. And uh, you definitely should go check out his Twitter account uh, because it is a, I mean, he's really broke it down to the T uh, and he's really been talking about it, about like how complicit our security intelligence agencies have been in terms of allowing these shootings to occur. Uh, so go check him out on Twitter. It, there's a lot of mixed signals happening with the shooting like that and that's why i try and i'm trying not to discuss it that much because it's like i mean it's just what is there to discuss about like obviously it does sting that there was a mass shooting but like when you really dig deep into it it's like oh there there's something more sinister happening there's there's something more darker happening here uh and and that's something that you know i feel like a lot of people are discussing on Twitter like, the how complicit the police officers are doing, but I feel like it's only like one. It's only we're only like up to that hurdle. Yeah, like we're not learning the tr true, real effects as to what is currently happening uh, with this shooting. Like I, I don't feel like we we're fully processing how complicit our government is in allowing this to happen, not only in terms of like the gun legislation, gun legislation, but also in terms of security agencies actively aiding and helping and allowing this to occur. So, I mean, that's where I, I want to sort of lead off at that. All right. Uh, that's where, that's probably the most serious I'll get on this podcast for today because it's Memorial Day. You know, I want to make sure that people have fun. That is interesting. That is enjoyable. You know, and uh, we'll talk about something that's interesting, and enjoyable, and that everybody, you know, watches every time. You know, this is like the greatest thing to ever occur on, on television. Uh, Ellen, uh, the Ellen show is ending. Uh, the greatest thing to ever occur on television is ending. Um, so basically what happened on Thursday was that Ellen decided to release her last episode. And, you know, she had this like sort of heartfelt address, this heartfelt tribute of, 
you know, how she wants people to be kind to one another and, you know, how she always wants people to be who they are, to tell who they are, who to, to speak their mind, to speak their truth. And, you know, it's a bunch of platitudes. It felt like a Pete Buttigieg speech. Uh, but overall, the show ended. You know, she went to, to the couch. She did the peace sign. Uh, and uh, then it faded to black. And that's the end of the Ellen show. Um, and honestly, like the reason as to why this show ended, I feel like people know this already, but begs repeating, apparently like there was a, a lot of workplace harassment on Ellen. Uh, she was very rude to her employees. This is nothing new. I mean, obviously, if you live in the Santa Barbara area, uh, you know how Ellen is and how she treats the wait staff and whatnot. Uh, she's a very sort of entitled individual uh, at Santa Barbara. And, you know, people that live in Montecito, that area, know that uh, very specifically. Uh, so not to blow or cover anything, but that's what people in Montecito know is that she's very entitled. She's very rude, uh, which is, you know, that's that's her. So Ellen, you know, was sort of canceled, I would say, like soft canceled by Twitter uh, because of her workplace harassment and whatnot. And honestly, like, I don't want to even want to call it canceled because, I mean, that's just your behavior, right? Like, you can't be canceled. Like, if, if it's like your tweets, sure. I mean, I'll defend you in that. But like, if it's your like behavior, I don't know if it's a cancel worthy offense because I don't think this is a cancelable offense. But I feel I feel like a lot of people or like sort of blindsided by that, especially a lot of like wine moms in suburban America. I feel like if you're canceled by your own base or if you're shown to be a person that you're not, then that's when people turn the tide on you. I feel like the idea of cancel culture, I, I mean, obviously it does exist. I mean, don't get me wrong, cancel culture does exist. But I feel like you can only be, your career can only be ended, like fully ended by your own base like if your own base turns on you that's when your career ends but if you're able to just do your thing and, and you know still be consistent with who you are and your beliefs i mean i don't i don't think you have to really worry about anything honestly obviously like it does sting like when people outside of who you know uh hate on you and, and, and crap on you but if you have your own fan base you know that's what matters but for ellen you know her fan base was so blindsided by how by the revelation that she was massively rude and entitled and, and uh, dare I say, a bitch uh, to people that she worked with and people within her area that they were sort of blindsided by it and they didn't take it well. And as a result, you saw her ratings drop precipitously because of it. And, you know, it, it, they, those ratings were sort of dwindled. And even though there may have been an uptick in ratings, uh, overall, the damage was done. And she was like, okay, I'm leaving. And a lot of people, a lot of her fans were sort of blindsided and very sort of shocked to see her, you know, just just be, uh, you know, just not be this person that she set herself out to be. And overall, like, that's the that's Ellen for you. I mean, I mean, I knew she was always like this. I mean, anybody who acts like they're all pious and whole on television usually has some demons that they're trying to hide back. Like anybody who's who's upwards and like like talkative, like maybe not so much talkative, but sort of like friendly and like energetic and, and sort of always smiling. I always look at that person like, okay, there's something wrong with that individual. There's something up with that individual. Like I see that with James Corden right now. Like there's something up with him. There really is, and I really do not like James Corden. And uh, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if you know he also treats people badly like Ellen. I really wouldn't. Uh, so. 
overall, that's Ellen for you. Uh, the thing with Ellen, the Ellen show, is that like, and this is very sort of interesting to point out, is that have there been any memorable moments on that show? Like, think about it. The show has been on for like what, fifteen to twenty years now. I mean, it's been going on for as long as I've been alive. I mean, I'm twenty three, so I remember when I was in elementary school seeing Ellen. Uh, have there been any memorable moments on the show? Like, let's really think about it. Like, when you think of talk shows, right, you have Letterman, right? You have several key moments on Letterman. You have Drew Barrymore and Letterman, you know, flashing her stuff to uh, David Letterman. You got Joaquin Phoenix, that awkward interview he did with David Letterman. With Craig Ferguson, you have, you know, Kate Mara. You have, you know, that interview, those interviews that he, that he did with Kate Mara. With Conan O'Brien, you know, you have those Bill Burr, you know, moments. You know, obviously, Bill Burr on Conan is much wa- must watch. If you see Bill Burr on Conan... Like, I don't know about you, but when I saw that when I was like in high school and college, I mean, college, when I was in high school and, you know, in my late t- teen years, early 20 years, I, I, I dropped everything I did to just watch Bill Burr and Conan. Like, that's how great of an interviewer Conan O'Brien was on that show. I would drop everything I would be doing just to watch Bill Burr and Conan. I mean, when you think of Rogan, I mean, Rogan's technically a talk show. I mean, obviously, he doesn't brand itself as a talk show, but if you have guests on, I mean, who's to say this in a talk show? I mean, when you think of Rogan, you think of Elon Musk, you think of him, you know, smoking, you know, hitting that joint and, you know, Tesla's stock dropping. You know, you think of Alex Jones saying, I'm a bit retarded. I'm a little retarded. You know, you think of Bernie Sanders coming on for that 2020 election, really talking about insulin and talking about, you know, the rising cost in healthcare and how healthcare should be a human right. And that was one of the most viewed episodes on Rogan's podcast. And it really got people to talk about Bernie in a way that, the mainstream press really wasn't able to do. So you think of those moments on those shows. What moment has Ellen DeGeneres brought to the mainstream cultural zeitgeist? Just Dakota Johnson saying you were invited to my party, Ellen. That's that's the big story. That's the big moment on Ellen. Like, think about it. She's been on air for like over like 15 to 20 years. There haven't been many moments where they stand out. They really haven't. Like, there are several other talk show hosts that do a pretty better job in terms of getting the better of their host. Even like women hosts, like Z-Way. Like I saw that Z-Way Shed Hanks interview. I mean, say what you want about Z-Way, but that was a like a home run out of the park. I mean, that really was a really good interview. And you know, I feel like I talked about Z-Way like a few like months ago, and I was like, this show stinks. But I feel like. After seeing her for quite some time now on like TikTok and Twitter and whatnot on YouTube, I feel like she's in on the joke. Like, I feel like it's so absurd now where she's just in on the joke. She's like, yeah, this is dumb. I'm just doing this because I know this gets people from Williamsburg talking, but I know this is all dumb. This is all a fad. You know, I'm just doing a a bit like Eric Andre or Tom Green, but in a way sort, sort of sanitized way where... You know, I sort of poke at people's wokeness and whatnot and, and do it for, like, the trends of social media. So I feel like Z-Way, like, I, I know I, I sort of went after, I wouldn't say went after her, but I, was, I sort of critiqued her a few months ago. But now I feel like after watching the show and, and sort of being accustomed to, to hearing about it, I'm like, okay, like, this show is kind of good. I'm, I, mean, I don't like I don't like it. I don't love it. But I know why people understand it and why, I know why people enjoy it. I feel like that's a very important caveat that I put in there. So I feel like 
in that regard. I mean, Z-Way has done a great, uh, uh, honestly, I would say has done a better job in terms of getting guests on her show to like really open up. Uh, I mean, what has Ellen really done in terms of pop culture? Like, let's think about it. Like, what moment, I mean, maybe the Vegas shooter, which was obviously like fishy. Like uh, that's a very, that was a very fishy interview. Like I'm, that was like one of the most awkward interviews I ever saw on a show, and because that was one of the few interviews I actually watched on a show. But when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is like when I talked about the FBI and CIA being complicit in some shootings. Like, look no further than that. Like that's a kind of sketchy one to see. Like I'm not gonna like say that it was like fully them because. Who am I to say that? But that's kind of sketchy. Like, read up on that shooting. Uh, you'll realize that this is kind of kind of sketch. Uh, but yeah, overall, Ellen, like, I I, I just don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get Ellen. Like, I don't. I mean, I liked her old stand-up. I mean, her old stand-up is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Very sort of Jim Gaffigan-esque. You know, very sort of clean. But I, I just don't. I don't get it. I don't. I, I want to get it. I want to get the show. I just don't. I know it's for like suburban moms for, for you know, housewives. I know I know that's what the show's geared for. But I'm like, okay, if, if it's geared for that, I'm sure there's some episodes that I might enjoy. But it's like, no, like this is so sanitized. It's so sterile. It's so light and shiny. It's so much and it offers so little in terms of substance. I just can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. It's another show that I, I particularly, you know, find interest in, and uh, it's ending. So, how hallelujah, I suppose. But overall, it's like, what what is there for Ellen right now? Like, really, like, like what has that show really done? Like, I can't remember anything. Like, maybe two moments, like the Vegas shooter and Dakota Johnson. But like, have there been any memorable memorable discussions on that show? Like, leave a comment down below. Like, can you remember any? Like, at, at all? Like. Was that show just like an inside job? Like, like what? What was that? What was about that show that made it so special? I don't know. You leave a comment down below. We'll see what happens. Anyways, uh, let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here. Joe Rogan is labeled Times 100 most influential people of 2022. Uh, this was a very very interesting thing that I saw. So Time Magazine released their uh, released their 100 most influential people. Some people were like Zendaya. Other people were Joe Rogan, and Joe Rogan was billed under the leader section. And under the leader section, Vladimir Zelensky was on it, so the Ukraine president, Ukraine prime minister. Uh, Vladimir Putin, Ron DeSantis, and Joe Biden were a few notable names that were on that leader section, and accompanying them was Joe Rogan. So this is from Kara Swisher, the New York Times. She wrote for Joe Rogan, uh, and this is a very, very interesting thing that I saw. I'm probably the very last person you might pick to assess the power and meaning of Joe Rogan. While we both do long podcasts, we're quite different in terms of or origins. Journal journalist versus comic. Tone, persistently tough versus indefatigably curious and content. Just the facts versus just asking questions, including two obvious charlatans. But that's really the point of podcasting. Part of a fresh and new media landscape where there are no questions that Joe that Rogan has pioneered and plowed the fields like no other. To say he is big is an understatement. His Joe Rogan po- his Joe Rogan Experience video podcast averages 11 million people with a huge and low fan base that skews heavily young and male. That's earned him a fortune, including the $200 million, uh, $200 million he, gener- he garnered from Spotify to be exclusive to the platform. He certainly delivers with big, big interviews from Elon Musk and Dave Chappelle, ranging across the ideological spectrum. 
which is a critical talent in these partisan times. But he's also gotten into a lot of trouble this year for resurface racial slurs he made and apologized for and being a place where COVID deniers get a very easy ride. It's complicated, of course, but there's no question that Rogan's success is pretty simple. The former Fear Factor host has become the nation's earworm. Uh, very nice follow-up. Obviously, there are some issues with that, but I feel like in terms of write-ups on Rogan, this was a pretty good write-up. Uh, she goes a little too... Uh, a little out there on the COVID misinformation and COVID denier thing, uh, which I get where she's coming from. But uh, overall, in terms of this write-up, quite nice, uh, quite good, quite enjoyable, a nice read. I highly suggest you read uh, the the sort of article on that for Joe Rogan. And honestly, I mean, how can you look at this and not be inspired by it? Like, this is a great, great story. This is a feel-good story. I mean, I still remember those podcast days that he had with Red Band, you know, sitting in his own home with Joey Diaz and Arisha Firon. You know, just shooting it out, you know, just hacking it away, I mean, hacking it away, not the right description to use, just putting himself out there, you know, just doing his best, you know, getting people discussing his podcast, you know, really talking about things that were curious to him, you know, whether it was weed or whether it was, you know, conspiracies, you know, com- comedy, stand-up comedy, you know, UFC, like, it was like the perfect ground for people to just have, like, unfiltered conversations and to see him amount to this is great I, it really is an inspiration to me you know i i don't think i would have started this podcast without seeing the overall happiness that i see from people from rogan to individuals such as you know east coast podcasters and whatnot so to see rogan um beyond times 100 most influential list uh overall i think that's just a, such a great story to see it really is and you know i don't know man it's just great it really is i i love it you know I, for me like i don't have hate or like jealousy when i see other people succeed like like i want to see other people succeed like that's that's one that's my bread and butter i love it when i see people that i know i don't know rogan you know I, i've never met rogan but I love pe- I love seeing people that I know have been doing it for so long, for such a good amount of time, finally get the fruits of their labor and, and to finally get the recognition they deserve. Because this thing is is a breath of fresh air for Rogan. I mean, think about the amount of times he's been canceled by Twitter. Think about the amount of times that he's been written up horribly by by publications and whatnot by CNN of all people, telling telling them that he took horse dewormer. And even though, I mean, technically, like, if we really want to discuss it, I mean, ivermectin is technically like a horse dewormer, but there is a human version of it. I feel like they could have at least mentioned that, you know, but they didn't. And they really did their just, they they really did their diligence to sort of smear his name at a time when, you know, finding each and any solution for COVID should have been the priority, not just getting people to take the vaccine, because now we're seeing with the vaccine that there are people that have been vaxxed twice, three times, even four times still getting COVID. So, I mean, what does that tell you? You know, at the end of the day, like, you know, just vaccinating people for the sake of vaccinating people, I don't think that's good. You know, I feel like you need to educate people on that. You know, you make sure people are are invested in, in being informed about it. And to smear people just because they think otherwise, I feel like that's not the best effective solution for that regard or for that manner. Uh, so, when you see this, when you see this uh, story by Rogan, and you know when you see him lumped in with Vladimir Zelensky, Putin, DeSantis, who is a 2024 hopeful, and Joe Biden, that goes to show you the amount of power that he has. 
And now that he's written up, I feel like the the excuse I'm just a comedian. I'm just a I'm just a MMA analyst. I'm like, okay, that's a little. I don't know. I feel like you know you need to know that with great power comes great responsibility. You know that that's that Uncle Ben line. And I feel like you know once you're that big, you got to be like, okay, I gotta sort of talk about things in a very sort of strategic way. I can't be callous with my choice of words. I got to be more, I wouldn't say sensitive, but I I have to be on my P's and Q's. And I feel like, I feel like Rogan is in that space right now where he's, he's testing the waters. He's waiting the waters out. And that doesn't mean he can't say what he wants to say, but I do feel like now that he's being lumped in with Vladimir Zelensky, Putin, DeSantis, and Biden, it does give his opposition ammo. It really does to be like, see, since he's lumped in with all these people, now he's got to, you know, say this and say that and say, and, you know, the whole nine yards. And I feel like, I feel like for him, you know, because of the fact that he's a comedian, you know, I feel like you should only view it in that regard. Like he did not sign out to be the biggest podcaster in the world. He did not sign out to be the biggest, one of the biggest comedians in the world. All he signed up for was to just be as funny as possible, be as entertaining as possible, to be as lighthearted as possible. And, you know, there's some politics interjected with it, but overall, like, his main mission is just to be as entertaining as possible, just like this podcast is supposed to be as enter- as entertaining as possible. So uh, that's that's sort of my two cents on that regard. I, for one, am happy uh, for, to see Rogan uh, on this list because it, it really was a nice write-up uh, and a uh, very nice thing to see. You know, it really shows you that success is not just done overnight it's something that's built over time i tell that my i tell that my i tell that to myself each and every day because you know it's very difficult you know to see to do comedy and to do podcasting and you know to see it gradually move up and and to do well at it but uh it's something that i've really sort of taken my time with and uh, i really view rogan as in, as an inspiration for that so Cheers to Rogan and cheers to Time for doing this because I'm sure it was not easy to put him on the Time 100 list. Uh, I'm sure there was some pushback to it. So congrats to Rogan on being named Time 100 Most Influential People. All right, let's get into my wiki pick, shall we? So each and every week I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film uh, that, I, that I really enjoyed. I think you guys will enjoy. This week I'll be recommending Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. This is a very popcorn-esque film. This is a very sort of box office, box office, box office flick movie. Uh, so go watch it. It's Memorial Day weekend. You know, go see it. The film is about Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, Tom Cruise, uh, who is on the last legs of being a Navy pilot uh, as he teaches a new group of pilots for this extremely difficult mission. And trials and tribu- tribulations follow because of it. And the film stars Tom Cruise, but also stars Miles Teller, who plays one of his students uh, and the child of a person that basically uh, was dead uh, because of Tom Cruise and his, uh, because of Tom Cruise's character. Uh, so this is a very good film, a, ver- a very box office flick, flick movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's really not much of a plot to it. I basically just gave you the plot right there. So it's very easy to follow. It's not Tenet. You know, it's not you know, primer, you know, it, it's very sort of st- uh, simple, straightforward, you know, it's a very sort of popcorn movie, go watch it, go see it, it's pure fun, uh, when I saw him, there's a scene where Miles Teller's at a bar, and he starts playing piano, and when I watched that, I was like, where was this during La La Land, right, like, where was this during La La Land, because apparently, like, Miles Teller was, uh, you know, uh, 
he was originally scheduled to play, you know, Ryan Gosling's character in La La Land, and things didn't fall into place. And, you know, as a result of it, Ryan Gosling decided to get the role. And, you know, La La Land was considered one of the best films of 2017, 2016, 2017. And Miles Teller could have been in it, you know, and uh, unfortunately he wasn't in it. Uh, Miles Teller, really good actor. Uh, Obviously, I I feel like this movie doesn't do, I mean, obviously it's very sort of style-esque. I'd say it's very, they very much value style. I mean, all the effects are practical. Like most, like most of this were practical effects. Very little to none of it was CGI. So that just goes to show you just how ballsy Tom Cruise is, but also just how ballsy the cast and crew is as well to allow this to happen, especially during a time when COVID was like running amok. So, I mean, obviously going back into the into the actor discussion, nobody really wows you with the acting. Like nobody really wows you with the acting. But Miles Teller is a really good actor. I mean, go watch Whiplash. That's like one of my favorite films to to watch. Go watch Whiplash. Go watch other movies that Miles Teller's in because he's a very, very underrated actor. And uh, he should have played Elvis, not Austin Austin Butler, but Miles Teller. Uh, so go watch Top Gun Maverick. It's very good. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's in it as well. I feel like people don't give Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly her credit as an actor. Uh, she's very, very talented. Um, but yeah, Top Gun Maverick, go watch it, go see it. It's very popcorn-esque. It's a popcorn flick, so go watch it on the big screen. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to watch Top Gun Maverick on like your iPhone. Like It, it really doesn't make any sense to do that. So go watch it, go check it out. It's a link in the description box below for the trailer. And hopefully you guys enjoy it because it's a very, 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 very interesting movie to watch. Very, very fun to watch as well. Uh, so yeah, that's my wiki pick for you guys today. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you li- guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel, my podcast clip channel. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at AJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R, underscore the end for both my Instagram and Twitter. And uh, before I leave you off, I want to say I don't know if I'll be uploading a video on my podcast channel uh, on Thursday because because of the quarterfinal recap and semifinal recap, it, I don't think it'll be good for me to upload that because you know things age like milk when you talk about tennis and if, if you talk about it a day late there are already new matches happening and i feel like the retention rate for people to be invested in old matches is very very low so i don't think i'll be uploading a, a video on my podcast channel uh besides this video uh, so be on the lookout for my quarterfinal recap my semifinal recap and for my final recap i will be re- uh, recapping each and every match i promise this one i i sincerely promise uh some will be short some will be actually in-depth analysis but overall uh go check out my podcast clips channel for those videos i highly suggest you do um other than that uh make sure you rate and review on itunes and spotify i know spotify has a new feature where you can uh, now rate and review uh sort of podcasts and whatnot and last but not least make sure you spread the word on whatsapp and through your text change i feel like spreading things word of mouth is very very important it gets us to create a very active community a community that fosters discussions and, and you know talking things out and hashing things out and i feel like you know it's so rare nowadays to really have that in today's society so you know let's create a community you know spread it through whatsapp you know spread it to at least one person to at least one person that may enjoy tennis that may enjoy things that are happening you know in our political societal realm whatever it is and uh that's about it for you guys today uh leave a comment on any of the, these topics whether it's nadal Djokovic, fa nadal uh rogan being labeled time 100 most influential people uh ellen show ending ethan klein wanting to bomb nra headquarters any of these discussions you know any of these topics leave a comment down below and that's about it for me today so guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening i'll see you guys 
uh, on my podcast clip channel, recapping the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.